This is The Lit Fantastic, a podcast series about authors and their obsessions. I'm your host, Neil Aiken. In this episode, I speak with Helene Achanzar, poet, Kundiman fellow, and soon-to-be graduate student at Ole Miss University. Helene's obsession takes her out of her comfort zone takes her across the country sometimes, takes her to towns and villages and parts of the world that she wouldn't otherwise go to. She's obsessed with lighthouses. Perhaps not always, but for the past decade or so, really been enthralled by our lighthouses. And it's funny, you know, I travel, I travel with friends and I travel with family. And anyone who travels with me knows that, you know, if we're going somewhere near a coast, a destination will always be a lighthouse. And I think it, it might be a bit annoying to my, uh, to my travel partners, but it's very important to me to see lighthouses. Well, why do you think that is? Is there, what is it about the lighthouse that that is particularly fascinating or, or engaging for you? Well, I find them, I find them romantic. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, lighthouses in in movies and in literature. But I think also just they're fascinating structures. Um, doing a tower climb or, you know, climbing a lighthouse is quite the experience when you're able to do a tour. I think about the, um, the light that comes from a lighthouse as the sort of you know, beacon in the darkness and, you know, what that could mean or, or what that could have meant, at least, to like, mariners who are traveling through night. Yeah, there's, there's all this romance around it, and it's, it's very strange. And, you know, it's, I think about also the way that most lighthouses are um, automated now and what the of lighthouse keepers must have been like. I I imagine them being pretty lonely, but also, you know, lives that were that were marked with great responsibility. But you know, those are those are the things that keep me coming back to this this love of lighthouses of different sorts and wanting to wanting to see them when I travel and just generally wanting to learn about them. So thinking about lighthouses then. I, I guess are, are there particular qualities about them? Do do you find like the 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 ones with long histories particularly interesting? Um, you know, do you have preferences in terms of the the time periods when a lighthouse was built? Generally, I'm I'm very attracted to ones that have unique colors. So my favorite lighthouse is gray. It's a gray brick lighthouse where the top, the actual place where the lens is. You know, the outside is painted black, and it's quite gorgeous. There's also that one in North Carolina that's quite quite famous and is, is striped all around. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a black and white diagonal stripe. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just the aesthetic quality of them, it's quite lovely to me. Mm-hmm. Do, do you know uh, much about... Also, okay, I, I was oh, going yeah, to ask if you, uh, if you knew much about the, the signaling process, the occulting lights and the... You know, I have, um, I've read a little bit about Fresno lenses, mm-hmm. and I can't say that I understand it all, to be honest, <laughs> but um, I can't say that I understand much about the way they actually work. I think, again, what I'm most attracted to is, 
is the romance around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think a little bit about shipwrecks. And so, you know, Chicago is on the Great Lakes. Mm-hmm. And I think about you know, wrecks in the Great Lakes and how many underwater ghosts there must be and how underwater ghosts must be maybe differently frightening than land ghosts. Go- ghosts that, that linger and stay underwater or ghosts that come up off of the water? Oh, no, the ones that are down there. They're just wandering around. Yeah. You know, I hope to never encounter one. <laughs> but I no, no underwater tour? Or... I'm sorry? No, no interest in an underwater tour of, of a ship graveyard down there? No. Not for me. I think it's it's fascinating and probably very marketable idea. I'm just not interested in um, in in the possibility of an encounter with an underwater ghost. <laughs> so, where where has what's the furthest your your interest in in lighthouses has taken you? Uh, how far have you traveled to see a lighthouse? Um, let's see. There are a few really wonderful lighthouses that I visited in Puerto Rico. I really like the Montauk Lighthouse. Um, and there's one in Montreal that you know, I don't remember the name of it. It's quite small. So most of, most of them have been, um, you know, North American ones. I haven't, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing, you know, lighthouses on other continents. But, but if you had the opportunity, you would probably take it. Go oh, absolutely. World tour, <laughs> see every lighthouse that, well, that would da- take up a lot of time. But, um <laughs> Sure. If, I mean, certainly if I had the time and the resources, mm. my life would just be one big lighthouse tour. <laughs> so where do you think this is, this is going to take you? Um, you know, do you think this will return you again at some point to writing or show up again in your work? It's funny that you ask that. I've tried so many times to write about lighthouses, and every single time... I feel like I've written garbage. It's very hard for me to uh, to even talk about this this obsession because I don't quite understand it. Mm. So writing about it and writing about lighthouse keepers is quite challenging. It it, it is. I you know, I, I guess part of it is not knowing exactly where to start. That doesn't feel like you're starting where other people have already been. You know, I don't. I don't actively seek out literature about lighthouses or any other sort of media about lighthouses. For me, it's very much the experiential quality of, you know, standing in front of one or climbing one mm-hmm. um, or roaming through the um, residential space um, of a lighthouse. And so I don't, I don't really associate it with my writing, and when I've tried to force that association, well, that's interesting. I, I mean, I guess, I guess there there are some things that we really struggle to to articulate. You know, that the the, I mean, it is part of why we obsess over them is because we can't figure out how to talk about them. I think I think that's part of the yeah, struggle. Yeah, you know, I think about I think about writing as a way of of learning and mm-hmm. trying to understand something, but I'd say that one of the things I I like about my lighthouse curiosity is that I don't understand it and mm. perhaps it's okay that it you know it doesn't really cohere with the rest of my life not everything has to not everything has to spill over into maybe into our writing some of it is preserved as a, a little mysterious part of ourselves that that we can keep safe from writing certainly and it's something 
something I also like to share with people. You know, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that travel has a lot to do with with my experience of lighthouses. Michigan, the state of Michigan, hosts the largest lighthouse festival in North America. And I remember driving out with my boyfriend to this festival, and it was quite a long drive, but it was in early October, and the leaves were turning, and it was a gorgeous drive, and it was an exhausting drive. And once we got into the northeast part of Michigan, where the lighthouse festival was taking place, you know, even then we had to drive from one lighthouse to another in many different towns, you know, along that lakefront coast. And it was, it was exhausting, but it also felt a bit like a challenge. Like I was working for these lighthouses, like I was earning, earning these power climbs. (laughs) And then, you know, even the drive back, like it was, it was a very long drive. I want to say it was about eight hours, eight hours there and eight hours back. And it was also funny being around all of these different lighthouse enthusiasts, most of whom were like elderly Midwestern people who I think were very surprised to see, you know, a younger Asian couple doing all the tower climbs with them and going to the little fair where they were selling trinkets and, you know, different like lighthouse coffee mugs and coloring books and what have you. So that was quite the experience, too. So I wonder, I wonder from listening to you, I wonder if part of it is is really more the, it sounds like part of it is the, the process of getting there, the experience of, of travel, where the destination is important, but it ultimately may not be as important as the experience of getting there. I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I do associate going to see lighthouses with travel. And they're, you know, they're very rarely ever situated in a place that's easy to get to. I remember, oh gosh, my dear friend, Sina, she and I went to Montauk from New York City and we took the, um, you know, we took the regional rail there. And we had no idea that Montauk is very much a place where you need a car to get from the station or to get anywhere, really. And so, you know, I really... I put her through the ringer in my quest to go see the Montauk Lighthouse, but it was lovely and wonderful. And I think, you know, I always think I owe her one for that. Have something to say or a guest to recommend? Perhaps you yourself would like to be a guest on The Lit Fantastic. You can reach us by email at contact at thelitfantastic.com or send us a message via Facebook or tag us on Twitter. We'll get back to you. So you have lighthouses as, as a sort of this major interest that kind of takes you around different corners and parts of North America. Are there, there other related or maybe unrelated obsessions that you have, things that you, you also tend to fixate on or, or tend to return to? Buffy the Vampire Slayer is very important to me. 
Uh, explain. You know, what about it, Buffy, <laughs> that, that really kind of resonates or, or connects with you? So I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer when it was airing on the WB um, when I was well, starting in middle school. And, you know, over the seven seasons that it aired, I you know, continued to watch it on, you know, on live or not live television, but as it aired. And I remember looking forward to Tuesdays, you know, Tuesday nights, because I would be able to spend this time with these characters that really grew with me um, from middle school into high school. And, you know, even now, I, you know, I think about Buffy all the time. I think about the ways that the television show really shaped me and continues to help me understand understand television, but also my world. To understand your world in, in what particular ways? Does it, do the, do, is it characters that are relatable, or is there something about the narrative, something about the conflicts that, that I mean, we don't have vampires, not that I'm aware of, um, <laughs> vampires in our midst, but are there ways in which these things stand in for other things that, that we go through during that age range? adolescence into yeah. young adulthood. You know, Buffy Summers was, I think, for me at that time, quite a role model. She was such a, um, a strong female protagonist, one that was also very conflicted and, you know, did a lot of growing and went through a lot of self-discovery at a time when I was also doing the same. And, you know, now into my 20s, I'm still doing that. I'm still sort of learning myself. And I take a lot of lessons from Buffy with me. So I watched it when it aired. And I find myself returning to the series. Sometimes the whole series, sometimes just um, certain seasons or episodes. I think as a series, it touched on a lot of themes that are very relevant to anyone's life, really. And I think about well, spoiler alert, but I mean, who cares? It's like, you know, decades later, so I can spoil this. When Joyce Summers, Buffy's mom, dies, the experience of Buffy's grief is not at all television or like cinema grief. It doesn't seem at all overwrought. It seems generally very confused, and it seems like a person trying to find a way to make death cohere in one's life. And so, you know, I, I think about moments like that and episodes like that where Joss Whedon and his team did a really great job of helping frame something that is very human in a television series that really, you know, is based on the supernatural. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that really is part of the attraction. I, I think I feel that with... Uh... You know, I, I didn't watch it all the way through to the end, but the seasons that I watched, I did find it did do a good job of against this supernatural, you know, backdrop of, of revealing these very human and very earthly contemporary concerns and and transitions and and conflicts. And and I think, yeah, the, the these these moments. I, I think that's probably the power. Not probably. It is the power of of good, well written work. 
is to, against the odds, you know, help us find a connection, even articulate what we might not know we want to articulate about the world we're in. I think, you know, I, you know it's, it's easy perhaps now to find good television or relatable television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've come to a point where television is good again, which is fantastic. But I always think about how Buffy, as a series, really influenced how we watch television now or what television is now. You know, Buffy had a lot of firsts in sort of the, the television realm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, different series owe a lot of their successes to things that Buffy did. But very true. Very true. It really was kind of a, you know, it pioneered a lot of this discussion and a lot of this representation. Um, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I think yeah. about, um, I think about having a singular or, you know, maybe even two villains in a season, like mm-hmm. two, one or two big bads, as, uh, as Buffy coined it. Mm-hmm. Prior to Buffy, it was very much like monster of the week. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of continuity in plot and, it really was a series that was aired serially, but also had a lot of momentum in like the forward movement of a number of plot lines. And, you know, that's something we're used to today. But before Buffy, I can't, I, I can't think of any television shows that did that as effectively or at all. Yeah, a lot of shows prior to that were very episodic, very self-contained. And, and, sort of, and if there was sort of an overarching villain they they only superficially would appear and the struggles were still such that you could drop in randomly throughout the season and not feel too lost. Mm-hmm. But the idea of the long story, the story that pulls us in across a season or across multiple seasons, I think you're right. I think I think Josh Whedon and, and Buffy are are major components of why that's that's a popular form now. It is interesting to see how these things spill out and, and, and influence sort of the subsequent generations of, of storytelling, whether on TV or, or elsewhere. It's been a delight to talk with you, um, both about Lighthouses and about Buffy. And before we sign off, I was wondering if, if you did want to read something, um, a poem or something else, be, or leave us sort of with a parting thought about... Um, about either Buffy or about lighthouses that you want us to take away. <laughs> I don't think I could. Uh, I could say anything. Um, anything more or anything more <laughs> co- coherent about either Buffy or lighthouses. So perhaps I'll just read a poem. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> okay, let's see. Okay, here we go. Pedestrian mall. Whether I am town dweller or daughter, whether or not this is the wet part of morning. Who do we become in a park? The sky might have been orange, but rain. So orange the leaves instead. Were my father on this walk, he would name trees. Circus canadensis, Laditia triacanthos. There is a word for everything. Timber, timber, light. A park is where we become children. Children who may one day have children cry. Their lamp eyes. They run and move their elbow skin. That's sometimes excess. In the plaza, people never umbrella. 
everyone's skin so practical in the rain. We cover ourselves with coats, but our teeth are still our teeth. Let them make their small noise. The asphalt is a darker. Look up. The plaza is full of mouths. Even underwater, everyone is still holding wire devices, speaking into wire devices. Were my father on this walk, I would not need a wire device. Were my father on this walk, I'd ask him, what is the opposite of sun? No sun. That was wonderful, and um, I'm so glad we had this opportunity to, to speak today, and I'm glad we were able to, to do this together. Thanks, Neil. Okay, thank you. That was Helene Achanzar, Kundiman Fellow and Poet, with awards from Iowa Writers Workshop and Philippine American Writers and Artists. You've been listening to The Lit Fantastic, a production of KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and to our producer, Jenna Yokoyama. To learn more about our podcast series and upcoming episodes, check out our Facebook page at The Lit Fantastic. And until the next episode, I'm your host, Neil Aiken. Thanks for listening.